This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Off the ball, getting inside the game on News Talk 106 to 108. All right, it's uh, Thursday Night Football with John Giles. John, you're very welcome. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jer. Now, I, I wanted to start on a kind of sad note, really. It's the uh, the passing this week of Tony Grealish. I have to say that looking back on that team from around that time, I didn't actually realise how good the team was and how close they were to qualifying um, and just how close they were to probably being the first group of absolute legends as a team. I mean, yeah. we'd had individuals before, but they were really close. Yeah, well... Um I think Tony came into the team in 1976. I'd been manager since, I think, 70, 73, 74 time. So we were just building the team. Uh, David O'Leary was coming on board, Liam Brady, um, David O'Leary. Tony Grealish was one of one of the first lads that qualified for us. Tony, yeah, Tony, yeah, Tony we, were, we were, in those days, there wasn't much television coverage as there is today, Jar. And to be honest, like in my time, and then Owen took over, and he had a couple of bad decisions against him. We had a couple of terrible decisions against us in uh, uh, Bulgaria, particularly, where um, it was very, it was a bit dodgy to say the least. Um, you know, Bulgaria, Bulgaria in those days qualified for every competition and never did anything in any of them when they got there. Yeah, I didn't manage. I went to see them play France. We were in the same group as France, and France were robbed uh, the week or two before we played there. So, but anyway. Uh, but Tony came into that at that particular time, around that time. And what type of player was he? Tony was, um, what would they call him now? Tony would probably qualify now as one of the holding midfielders, although he was he could do more than that. Do you know what I mean? He was, he was or a box-to-box player. Yeah. He was an all-rounder. He scored a few goals for the Irish team, a good shot in his right foot, but he'd be more of a sort of a tackler, uh, get stuck in around the middle of the field type of type of player. But very, very honest in his play, you know, you'd always got 100% from Tony. Always, and he, he loved it, you know, he loved playing with the Irish team, he loved being involved in it, and he really, he really was a good, um, a good asset to us at that time. Yeah, the, exactly the type of player that any manager really wants around his squad. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was, always good humoured lad, but when he played, he played, you know, he gave everything that he had. Uh, he wouldn't have been a classical midfield player, but, um, but he was very, 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 very useful, good, uh, type of lad. You said that he was one of the first players that qualified. Um, we had Owen Hand on during the week, and he was kind of saying that actually it was a big enough deal to have players qualifying for the team, and that there was a bit of negativity around that at the time. Was that something that you were aware of? Did you even have to take it into consideration, or was uh, it? No, I didn't think so. Not really. Um, my my attitude always was that if players qualify for us legally, uh, I would take them from anywhere. If it would improve the team take from anywhere because and that, that's happened around the world today as we know um, but uh, um, the, it wasn't as easy to qualify for the Irish team then as it is today um, and Tony was one of the ones that did qualify and he was one of the early ones I think Chris Hewitt and Shay Brennan <coughs> I think was was probably the first Yeah. and Steve Highway came along uh, with Chris Hewitt we had a few qualifying uh, before Tony Got in the team. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I personally, I'm all in favour of it. I think the country has suffered enough with emigration. That exactly, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you see the, the likes of today. I mean, if you look at the the cricket team, the Irish lads playing in the English cricket team, for example, and plenty of South Africans and uh, are playing in the English cricket team. Yeah, and, and indeed the English rugby team as well. Rugby, so, rugby team, you know. Yeah. So that's 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 the way of the world. But it was only beginning to 
to at that that particular stage for us. Um, and maybe maybe some people didn't like it, but I I certainly had no objection to it. I thought it would strengthen the team, and the lads were committed to the Irish team, which they all were. That's the thing, isn't it? Well, that's the big thing. You know, they weren't they weren't using us. I mean, Tony Grealish was very very, and if I always found that with the lads in England, like second generation Irish, were more Irish than first generation Irish. You know, because they 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 wanted to come back to the country that the mothers and fathers uh, emigrated. Uh, and they were really committed to it. All the lads applied for us, and then later on, Ray Houghton and and Andy Townsend uh, and and Tony Tony Cascarino, John Aldridge, they were all. You couldn't have asked on for any more for all those lads yeah. when they played in the Irish team. Kevin Moore made the point to us during the week as well that later on in his career, when the team was successful, that it was actually easy enough to be committed, but that when the team was having that heartbreak showing up again and again and again, it was actually more difficult to be committed and Tony Grealish was always committed. Oh, yeah. Well, well, I think, um, like, I played in the bad old days, uh, Jeff, when we had this selection committee of five picking the team and there was there was no organisation. The team could change from one match to the next. There was five people picking the team knew nothing, absolutely nothing about football. So, uh, we, 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 we got rid of the um, selection committee. I think it was around 19, 1969, 70. Uh, and then uh, McMegan took over, and Liam Toohey took over, and then I took over in seven. I think it was 73, 74. So at least we had the structure right to, to improve the team. And then we had we had players who qualified for us coming on board, which strengthened the team. I say Shea Brennan, Chris Hewton, yeah. uh, Tony Grealish, and uh, Steve Highway. So we were getting better and better as we went on but at least the structure was right and we were more professional in our ways One thing that struck me looking back on the results from the campaign I think uh, your last game was one of the first games in charge or for, Yes, the first before Owen took over yeah, yeah. and that was the start of a campaign Did you ever in retrospect wish you'd hung on for that last campaign because they got very close as well? Um, well I had a few regrets but I, I was doing the job at that time for seven years Jer and what happened was like I, I was a victim of my own limited success because before I took over the Irish we never looked like qualified at all and that was me well we got England that'll be a good gate that seemed to be we never we never had any ambitions to qualify Yeah. so when I took over the Irish what I wanted to do was get an ambition in the side that we're, we're that we had so many moral victories yeah, that I was fed up with the moral victories that, look let's start winning some matches uh, and we actually then made an effort see we're in a tough group and there was only f- one qualifying it wasn't second we were in with Bulgaria we were in with France uh, and I, I had three goes a qualification and we got nearer and nearer all the time but by the time and it happens in management by the time I'd done the seven years I think the crowd were getting a bit impatient with me the actual fans well Giles has had three goals at it and haven't qualified yet you know we had never qualified before yeah. it never looked like qualifying so uh, you know I thought well it was time for me to step down and was that driven by the, the by the crowd, or was that driven by you, yourself as well? The sense that seven years I've had enough of this, or well, I was player manager. You see, what well, well, I didn't really want to take on the job at all, but they approached me at the time. I was playing for Leeds. I was only, I think, it was only thirty two, thirty three at the time. Uh, would I go out and I'd say player? There was no money in it, Jer. Uh, I really wanted the Irish team to do well. I, I was hoping to be the first manager to qualify um, for a major competition. They were my ambitions. Money was never never a factor. Uh, in it so like it got to the stage for some reason or the, the crowd turned turned against which happens turned against me in fact one of the matches I played and I was booed when my name was I don't know why but anyway that's that's what it was so my attitude was well look first of all I, I this is something I want to do for the supporters I'm not getting paid for it I'm not bothered about the glory of it uh, and if the supporters that I want to do it for don't want me what's the point of doing it so I decided to, to resign um, 
at that, that particular time. We played in Cyprus and we won the first match and then Owen, Owen took over them from there. Yeah, and, and was that an easy enough transition for you to step back from, like, or at that at that stage, rightfully, you might have been a bit angry about the way that And I, I wasn't angry. No, I just thought, I, I understood. I was in the game a long time. That's the way it happens. If you're in the job for seven years as an international team manager, people are, are inclined to, to think, well, we've had enough of that guy. Um, so I'd no, I'd no regrets about it. Um, I just, I had a satisfaction. I knew that the team was in better shape when I left it and I took over. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure, you know? Yeah, and that, that group actually goes out on goal, that team goes out on goal difference at the end of that group as yeah. well. Yeah, so with a couple of bad bad decisions as well. But you see, it was just building up at that time. Like when I came into it, um, I think it was in 19, around 19, well, Liam came into it in 74. Uh, I think Frank Stabling came in shortly afterwards. So the three Arsenal players, Dave came into it in 76. So the three Arsenal players were huge uh, pluses uh, for the for the Irish team, we didn't have that that quality of player um, at that particular time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they come into it, and then we qualified. Steve Highway come into it. Tony Grealish come into it. So the the selection uh, the, the pool, pool became, got got widened, and and it, it got better from there on. Paul McGrath come into it. Kevin Moran come into it. Mark Lawrenson. Well, Mark Lawrenson actually, I kept Mark Lawrenson, uh, which was a most unusual situation. Mark was playing playing at Preston. At the time, he was only a young lad, and Alan Kelly was was the goalkeeper at Preston at that time, and we were playing Poland in a friendly match in Dublin. And those days it was Sunday, and there was no automatic release of players. You know, the manager had to agree we couldn't get players. You know, mm. but managers wouldn't release the players. So Alan said to me, "There's a young lad playing at Preston." He said, "I think he's worth having a look at. You know, I think he'd be a good player." So we capped Mark before he became known. Like English people, the English selectors afterwards were, were really go mad about it because yeah. Mark was an outstanding player but we qualified him before they knew anything about him mainly because we were, we were so short of players and he and he was uh, Mark was a brilliant player yeah it really worked out that was it oh he was great yeah, yeah, that, was yeah. A, that was a good decision alright yeah it was lucky one you know Alan I luckily enough Alan, Alan, Alan Kelly knew him at Preston he might have only played in the first team a couple of times he was very young but he was but he turned out to be a terrific player yeah not bad at all uh, I want to talk about um, the, the big stories from this week we'll leave Lewis Suarez for now but uh, just to, to talk about the two games over the last couple of nights um, all week long in the build up everybody was talking about the end of an era and the start of a new one and mm. I didn't buy it until the last two games neither did I I stuck with I tipped Barcelona a while because I think they got out of jail a couple of times and I said well I'd stick stick with them Um but but like you, I think you were saying the same that you know Barcelona were, Bayern Munich were very very good. They hammered uh, Barcelona, and I think, I think it is an end of an era for Barcelona, for sure. Uh, and Bayern Munich came on really really strong and, and hammered them as we know. So I don't see any way back next week. I don't think anybody sees any way back for Barcelona. To talk about that end of an era, is that because the players have just been at such a high level for such a long period of time that that's impossible to sustain as a group? Yeah. Well, I think so. I think uh, like they've been on the top for a long time, as you know. Barcelona, like the 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 the, the supremacy that they've held over the last, they've had over the last few years, been been extraordinary. And uh, I think they've been, they've been involved. A lot of players in winning the World Cup, winning the European Championships, you know, winning made three major trophies at, on, in succession. And I think that does catch up on you somewhere along the line. I think also the change in manager uh, is huge. You know, Guardiola was very, very successful. Yeah. And I heard people saying, people in the game actually saying a while ago, yeah, well, it, it, it won't be a loss because these lads know what they're doing and they'll be able to do it on their own. That doesn't happen. A manager's influence is a manager's influence and it's a day-to-day 
influence. And I think Guardiola leaving and then the other lad took over and, and got cancer, as we know, unfortunately, which is very, very sad for him. So he wasn't able to do the job. So I always found with a manager, when a successful manager leaves a club, it's a drip, drip, drip effect. It's not anything sort of dramatic. Yeah. But it, it, it's like when, I think when a good manager comes into a team, it usually takes three to four months for him to really, uh, for his influence to show. And it's the same when a good manager leaves. It's about three to four months to five months to six months that it re- the, his absence is is then there for everybody to see. And I think that's what's happened with uh, Barcelona as well. Yeah, and uh, obviously the injury or the, the illness of Villanova feeds into all that. But if, if you're sitting there at Barcelona at the end of this season and looking at, they still obviously have amazing players. Leo Messi still mm. has some, some great years to go. But yeah. do, you, do you major, do you change the philosophy and the style of play? Or do you just try and find new players to replace Xavi and, and maybe even Iniesta? Well, you'd have, you, you, well, obviously, you're trying to improve the side all the time. I mean, you'll find now, like Alex Ferguson's done it brilliantly over the years, uh, they've won the league this year, but I'd say he'll sign at least two players in the summer. So you're adding to it all the time. Liverpool at their best are the same. Now, if you're talking about Barcelona, Barcelona being exceptional in the way they played and uh, they have the messy factor. Now, I think the problem with, a lot of the problem with Barcelona is that that they're relying on one player so much. Like the other night, Bayern Munich snuffed Messi out of the game. And there's, then they, they have nothing else. Now, Messi's been brilliant and he's done it weekend out and he's produced that magic. And it is magic. But maybe you can't produce that all the time. So they might have to think, well, well, we'll have to change it. But that's up to the manager. You know, it's a big decision when you've been so successful for so long. Yeah. Uh, doing what you're doing. And the temptation must be to, to try and replicate exactly what brought you that it is, yeah. in the first place. But it's very hard to, to replicate uh, a situation where you have Xavi and Iniesta uh, and, and Messi, all these terrific players coming along at the same time. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't grow on trees, as they say, Jerry. You know, yeah. it's very hard to get them. So they have a big decision to make, whether they continue to, do what tr- to try and do what they're doing or to say, well, we need X player in, Y player in to change the... Thing. I, I think what they have to do for looking at them I definitely think that they have to get wide players that can take people on you know when you watch Barcelona play it goes out to a wide player comes back inside and they're starting all over again and then they're dependent on, it's like that there has to be a variation in it uh, and you, if you could take Munich you now Bayern Munich who are different to them but they have Robin and Ribéry so when they get the ball they're actually threatening the opposition from the wide positions. Yeah. Whereas Barcelona, they get it out wide. I think who's I don't forget who was playing out wide for them the last couple. Of, well, at any time goes out. To, they don't actually take people on. They stop it. They come back in, and now they're in front of the opposition all the time again. When it goes out to the wingers, then they should be able to threaten it. And then you also have the threat, threat Messi down the middle. But I think people teams know now if they stop Messi, then you're you're virtually stopping Barcelona. And the good teams have done it. Maybe it's inevitable, given how high-profile Barcelona have been over the last number of years, mm. that every great football mind in Europe has been trained to try and counteract it, that somebody was going to come up with a plan eventually. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's necessarily a plan, Joe, uh, because everybody can see what Messi can do. It's having the players to be able to do it. Barcelona had the players the other night. AC Milan had the players in, in Milan uh, in the first match where they did. And a few teams have done it to, to Barcelona now. Um, and... I think that they will have to change it, and I think particularly getting wingers in could could they could I think with two good wingers in that can threaten the opposition, they wouldn't need that much change. Does this defeat and and not winning last season does it mean that all the talk of them being one of the greatest teams of all time or possibly the greatest team of all time that actually that has to be revisited? That they well, that was always premature. 
Jared. I was I was never in favour of the best team of all time. I think they were as good as any of the team that went before them at their best. But but as you say, no team lasts lasts forever. So you've got to go back to what they did at their best, not what they're doing now. Yeah. Um. So like you, you, you have to give them credit for that, which is brilliant, and, and mainly down to you know, these great players. See, they were never good at the back, Jared. They were you know, but they had so much possession of the ball, and they had Messi doing this stuff and Iniesta doing this stuff that it didn't uh, it didn't become such a big issue. Whereas the last couple of games they played, even the other night, I mean, their defence generally was awful. Uh, the other night so it's a combination of quite a few few things but no teams last forever you know and they, and if you look at Barcelona they're very very seldom replenished you know Liverpool say at their best uh, you know when Keegan went they got Dalglish in and they got Hansen in even though they were winning uh, Souness and every year if they won something or they won the treble they'd still add a couple more players Yeah. Um, you know if you look at Barcelona they, they've bought Fabregas haven't really played him so they haven't they haven't really bought that many players in to replenish it so they might have to do that. But I'd say, if I, if I were trying to solve the problem, I'd try and get two wide players that can actually take people on. Bayern Munich were very impressive. And very good, yeah. The age profile of the team is good, and they've added Mario Goza for next season, who can obviously play in several of those forward mm. positions as well. So are they primed for dominance, or is it just a... I mean, obviously, they've been very good over the last number of seasons, but this looks like this is the well, breakthrough year. Better than they were last year, Jed, that's for sure. You know, I think there's, there's a work ethic about them and, and, and uh, an urgency about them that they didn't have last year. Uh, I think Robin is playing probably better now than, than I've ever seen him play, Ribery as well, and so they're ra- able to raid. But what was impressive about them, you know, when those players or any of the forward players lost the ball, they were back, they were defending, they were getting 10 players goal side of the ball, and that's the way actually to play football. You know, when you haven't got the ball, you got to get it back and then, then attack with, with 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 strength, as they say. But I think what's happened in the German league, what I look at, like at Dortmund, and there seems to be a culture has come into the game there that when we get the ball, get possession, we're really going for it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're really like that's why Dortmund, like every time they get the ball last night, they're going for it, really going to score. Got two up, got three one. They're going for the next one. They're going for the next one, uh, and I think that has gone into the German way of playing and it could happen like in England if his team is doing a certain thing it's a copycat effect and I think that's happened in Germany and I, and I think it's brilliant uh, I think uh, Bayern Munich have better players to do what they're doing than Dortmund have but I think Dortmund on any given day can be absolutely devastating which they were last night now against Malaga they were poor Yeah, that's why I still give Madrid a chance That's what I was, that was my next question next you week yeah. yeah because um, like the way they play Dortmund they're all or nothing like you see them last night and say, Geez, they're one of the best teams in the world. You know, you could see them the following week and it's not quite working. They want and they would leave themselves open. I, I don't think Barcelona have no chance, actually. I think Bayern Munich would be too good for them. But I still give I still give Madrid a chance, although Dortmund obviously have to be favourites with a three goal lead. Yeah. But they, it, it wouldn't be beyond them. And I think they can be anything on any given day, Dortmund. They could go to they could go there and win two or three now. They could. But I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect them to do that. But they'd be, they'd be open for uh, a shock result. I think. Just a final point before we leave this: it's been a brilliant Champions League this year. Yeah, it's been very good. It's been very good. I mean, people say, "Oh, we want Barcelona and Madrid in the final," but the only the teams that get into the final usually deserve to get in the final. And if it turns out to be an all-German final, I, I think it'd be a cracking final. I can't see either team sitting back. Yeah. Uh, I think both teams, the way they play, have to go for it. That's the way I, I said this before in Germany. That seems to be the culture now. And I, I would, I think it would prove to be a very, very exciting final. Uh, I think Bayern Munich would definitely be in it. I wouldn't be. I think Dortmund are favourites to go, but I'd still be a little bit wary of them going to Madrid next week. All right, John's going to stay with us. I'm going to put your text to him right after these. 
off the ball, getting inside the game on Newstalk 106 to 108. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to be talking about the Allianz League football finals with both Andy McGinley and Liam McHale. But right now, it's Thursday Night Football with John Giles. John, loads of texts coming in about Luis Suarez. We haven't actually talked about it just yet. Uh, this one here, for example, is a good one. Uh, ask John, what does he make of Suarez's 10-game ban? What do you make of this whole circus? I think it's, it's typical of what happens in football, Jack. Liverpool, the other day, issued a statement. You know, the tradition of the club and the history of the club, and it's, it's very bad. And, uh, you know, Suarez is saying, I'm very sorry, it was a dreadful act and all that. Comes to the suspension, and they're playing hell over it because the, the severity of the... This, like, they're looking for three games, Jack. Yeah. Like, one minute, they're all sorry. Now, they won't, I'd say they wouldn't be the only club in England doing it, but it seems to be part of the game, unfortunately. You know, you see managers on Saturday take no responsibility for the players diving or anything like that it's always somebody else's fault and this is like Liverpool if you look at their statements on Monday you know this is a great club and we we, 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 we don't we, we don't condone any of this behaviour and we're very sorry and Soros is saying sorry I mean I think Liverpool should have taken action themselves yeah and that might have actually if they'd banned him for seven games then maybe the FA would have said okay that's grand yeah but they didn't they're complaining about it I mean one one day they're, they're, they're saying how sorry they are and it's a great club and it's 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 been bad for the club and the image of the club and that tradition and that right then he gets to ten they don't they don't take action themselves and give them a suspension they wait for the FA to do it and then because it's a ten month ban they're complaining and shocked shocked and disappointed yeah from, and it's got to the stage now when I read the papers this morning that Suarez seems to be in a position whether he's deciding whether to stay at Liverpool Liverpool are worried whether he's going to stay or not it's gone crazy Jack I, I presume he will stay I mean my understanding would be that well he's in the driving seat he might say because of this area I want to leave if the player wants to leave you can't keep him and that actually maybe this is his way to get to a Champions League club and exactly it, it suits him yeah okay uh was playing a half-fit Messi worth the risk on Tuesday night? I've never seen him play so bad. Was it down to fitness or was it down to the ability of... I don't think it was down to fitness. He, he, he looked as if he was he was a little bit tired all right. I don't think it was his hamstring that affected him. Um, I think he just couldn't get going. He, he had a poor night by his standards and Bayern Munich made it very, very difficult for him, yeah. Uh, the crowds in Germany were brilliant on Tuesday and Wednesday. Are there any venues that have stuck with John to this day? Um... Yeah, well, Wembley, obviously. Wembley in the old days was a big was a big deal to play at Wembley. Uh, it was huge. Played in the Maracanã in Brazil. Was it full when you were there? No. No? No, no. We wouldn't, we wouldn't attract that many, Jared. Like, I think it held, in those days, I think it held 150,000. Yeah. Hamden Park. We played at Hamden Park in Celtic when there was 145,000. Wow. Uh, in, in, in the semi-final of the, what was what was then the champion? The European Cup. European Cup. Um... And Are you that, aware of those massive crowds when they're oh that yeah, big? Yeah. Well, particularly now, this was all this was in, this was 1970 where there was no all seating, and there was 20,000 apparently locked out. You know, so and Hampden was a huge bowl of a ground. Everybody, nearly everybody standing. Don't forget. So it was a terrific atmosphere in it. Yeah. Playing at the Barnet, played against uh, Barcelona in 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 Barcelona. In the new camp. Beautiful, yeah. yeah, new camp, beautiful, beautiful stadium. So they'd be. Um, again, Old Trafford was always a great atmosphere about it. I like playing at Main Road, I like played at Highbury. But the really big, big games would have been would, would have been in the international. Um, play, funny, I've never played that much in Germany. Uh, it, you know, like we were ten years in Europe in Leeds, and um, 
very seldom played against the. We played Bayern Munich in the final. Yeah. Of the of the um, European Cup in '75, and they beat us, and that was in Paris. But the, the big grounds were great. Yeah. Yeah. Does it lift a player when you're playing in one of that? Like it's ah, yeah, yeah. Well, all players want to play in front of a big crowd. I mean, that's what normally you want to go into football for. And there wouldn't be big crowds unless it was an important match. Yeah, Jared. Like if you're playing at Wembley and those days it was a hundred thousand, um, you know, to be whatever it was, eighty, ninety thousand in the Barnabas. So, you, you yeah, you, you, obviously you're nervous and you're excited, but you have to you have to, have to conquer those, those those particular things. Uh, how much longer can Alex Ferguson stay at Manchester United after winning his thirteenth title at Old Trafford? I think he'll stay as long as he wants to stay, uh, Jared. You know, as long as, as long as he's health stays up you see I think when you're in the position that he's in when when over the years he's built what he's built yeah right and it doesn't actually take that much running from a manager's point of view because he has he employs people to do the running around the coaching and all that so his overall effect is it's is like he's an overseer again bringing the players in who to let go who to bring in you know you don't have to be like 21 or 31 or 41 to do that as long as his mind stays okay which I'm sure it is and his health I think he can do it and because once you get players of that calibre and you're going to add to them again that summer, like they used to say in the game, you, you just train them and feed them and let them go out and play. So he's, like, what he's done is he's getting the benefit of all the hard work that he's done over the years. Uh, and he's got, a, he's got a system there. He's got a structure there that I think no, no other club has. He's in charge of it. He's got good players in at the moment. They just won the league. Uh, he probably had to. He has to finance that in the summer. So there's no reason for him to quit. And I don't think he wants to quit yet. No, there's a feeling that he wants to stay on until he wins another Champions League that everybody can... No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that. I mean, if, if Ferguson finished tomorrow, he could look back at great satisfaction and everything. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't need to win any more trophies to leave a legacy that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I don't think anybody else will ever, ever equal what he's done at, um, at Old Trafford. So I don't think it's that. I think, to be honest, I don't think he's got anything else in his life except football and I think he doesn't want to give it up and I don't think he'll ever want to give it up I think it'll be bad health or something that'll, that'll, that'll stop him I think, he, I think he loves it he doesn't have to work he, he works hard but he has a team there that's the important building a team is the hardest part mm-hmm. maintaining it is the easiest part it's like when Shankly finished at Liverpool he built that Liverpool team and Bob Paisley was able to continue it but Bob Paisley I don't think would have been able to build that team it's easier. To, it's easier to continue it if you're of the right mind, you know. Because people like Paisley, I think, was brilliant the way he did it. He didn't try to put his own stamp on it, as it were. You know, it, it was a, it was working, and he let it work, and he continued, and he got the credit in the end. So I think what uh, Alex Ferguson has done is built this terrific uh, squad of players at the moment, and he had to do it in the summer. And physically, it's not a, it's not a great deal of hard work. He got the other people to do that, but he's in charge. John, great stuff. We'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Thanks, Chair. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.